Podcastle 214 for June 26, 2012. We Never Talk About My Brother by Peter S. Beagle. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson. One of the characters in today's story is a newsman. Note, I don't say journalist. Watching the news has become increasingly frustrating for me, and that's not because it's an election year here in the States, at least not directly. But what frustrates me is how the news, specifically the news networks like Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, have become less about news and more about spin, particularly political spin. Sometimes there's so much of it, I can't even be sure what the reality of the report was. A lot of times, glancing at these 24-hour news cable networks, it feels like they're trying to shape a different reality, a reality they'd prefer to the one they're actually living in, and the one they're reporting on. I want to say that it's odd that I feel like I get a more realistic portrait of the news from watching fake news shows like The Daily Show or The Colbert Report, but in this weird reality in which we do live, I don't know how odd that is. This week at PodCastle, we're very proud to present We Never Talk About My Brother by Peter S. Beagle, originally published in Intergalactic Medicine Show. Yeah, I know, we just ran a Beagle story a month ago, that'd be episode 209, Lila the Werewolf. We typically prefer not to run stories by the same author so close together, but we feel alright making an exception for Peter S. Beagle. For those of you who aren't familiar with Mr. Beagle's work, He's the author of The Last Unicorn in a Fine and Private Place, as well as a bunch of short fiction collections, the most recent being The Excellent Sleight of Hand. Our reader this week is Malcolm Charles, a former radio talk show host who resides in Walnut Creek, California. He's a new reader here, but after listening to his performance, I do hope we'll be hearing more from him soon. So tune in your sets to your nightly news station and enjoy the story. We Never Talk About My Brother by Peter S. Beagle Read by Malcolm Charles Therefore, since the world has still much good, but much less good than ill, and while the sun and moon endure, luck's a chance, but trouble sure, I'd face it as a wise man would, and train for ill and not for good. A. E. Houseman Nobody does any more. Haven't for years. Well, that's why you're here, ain't it? One of those where-are-they-now paces of yours? But it's funny when you think about it. I mean, even after what happened in all this time, you'd think Willa and I, Willa's my sister, you'd think we'd say at least word one about him now and then. To each other. Maybe not to anyone else. But we don't. Not ever. Even now. Hell, my wife won't talk about Esau, and she'd have more reason than most. Lucky you found me first. She'd have run you right on out of the house, and she could do it, too. Tell the truth, shame the devil. The only reason I'm sitting here talking to you at all is you having the mother wit to bring along that bottle of Blanton's single barrel. Lord, I swear I cannot remember the last time I had any of that in the house. Mind if you record me. No, no, you go ahead on. Get your little tape thing going, okay by me. Doesn't make a bit of difference. You're like to think I'm pretty crazy before we're through one way or another, but that don't make any difference either. Well, okay then. Let's get started. 
Last of the great TV anchormen, my brother. Just as big as newsmen ever used to get. Not like today. Too many of them in the game. Too much competition. All sort of, I don't know, interchangeable. More and more folks getting the news on their computers. Those little earphone gadgets. I don't know what all. It's just different than it was. Way different. Confess, I kind of like it. But back then, back then, Esau was just a little way south of a movie star. Couldn't walk down the street, go out grocery shopping. He'd get jumped by a whole mob of his fans, his groupies. Couldn't turn on the TV and not see him on half a dozen channels, broadcasting or being interviewed or being a special guest on some show or other. I mean everything from big political stuff to cooking shows, for heaven's sake. My friend Buddy Andreessen, we go fishing weekends, us and Kirby Rich. Buddy used to always tease me about it. Point to those little girls on the news, screaming and running after Esau for autographs, and he'd say, Man, you could get yourself some of that so easy. Just tell them you're his brother. You'll introduce them. Man, they'd be all over you. All over you. No, it's not a nickname. That was real. Esau Robbins, right out of the Bible, the Old Testament, the guy who sold his birthright to his brother for a mess of pottage. Pottage is like soup or stew, something like that. Our papa was a big Bible reader, and there was, I don't know, there was stuff that was funny to him that wasn't real funny to anyone else, like naming me an Esau like he did. A lot easier to live with Jacob than a funny name like Esau, I guess. You know, when you're a kid. But I wasn't all that crazy about my name either, tell you the truth. Which is why I went with Jake, first time anybody ever called me that in school. Never looked back. I mean, you think about it now. The Bible Esau's the hunter, the fisherman, the outdoor guy. Okay, maybe not the brightest fella. Not the most mannerly. Maybe he cusses too much and spits his tobacco where he shouldn't, but still. And Jacob's the sneaky one, you know. Esau's come home beat and hungry and thirsty, and Jacob tricks him. Face it, Jacob tricks him right out of his inheritance, his whole future. And their mama helps him do it. And God thinks that's righteous, a righteous act. Makes you wonder about some things, don't it? Did he have a bad time of it growing up, account of his name? About like you'd expect. I had to fight his battles time to time if some big fella was bully-ragging him. And my sister Willa did the same. Because we were the older ones, and that's just what you do, right? But we didn't see him, you know what I mean? Didn't have any idea who he was. Except a nuisance we had to take care of, watch after, keep out of traffic. He's seven years younger than Willa, five years younger than me. Doesn't sound like much now, but when you're a kid it's a lot. He might have been growing up in China for all we knew about him. I'm embarrassed to say it flat out, but there's not a lot I really recall about him as a kid. Before the whole thing with Donnie Schmidt... I remember Esau loved tomatoes ripe off the vine, got into trouble every summer, stealing them out of the neighbor's yards. And he was scared of squirrels. Can you believe that? Squirrels, for God's sake. Said they chased him. Oh, and he used to hurt himself a lot, jumping down from higher and higher places, ladders, trees, sheds, and all such. Practicing landing, that was the idea. Practicing landing. But I surely remember the first time I ever really looked at Esau and thought, wow, What's going on here? Not at school. In the old Pont Street playground it was. Donnie Schmidt, 
mean kid with red hair and a squinty eye. Donnie had Esau down on his back and was just beating him like a rug. Bloody nose, big purple shiner already coming up. I came running all the way across the playground, Willa too, and I got Donnie by the neck and hauled him right off my brother. Whooped him a couple of times too, I don't mind telling you. He was a nasty one, Donnie Schmidt. Esau had quit fighting, but he didn't bounce up right away, and I wouldn't have neither the whooping he'd taken. He was just staring at Donnie, and his eyes had gone really pale, both of them, and he pointed straight at Donnie. Looked funny, I'm bound to say, with him still lying flat down in that red clay mud, and he kind of whispered, You got run over. Hadn't been as close as I was, I'd never have heard him. You got run over. Like that. Like it had already happened, you see. Exactly. Like he was reading the news, you got it. Okay, now, this is what's important. This is where you're going to start wondering whether you should have maybe sat just a little closer to the door. See, what happened to Donnie didn't happen then. It had already happened a week before. Seriously. Donnie, he didn't disappear, blink out of sight, right when Esau said those words. He just shrugged and walked away, and Willa took Esau home to clean him up, and I got into a one-a-cat game, what you probably call horse or catcher flies up, with a couple of my pals until dinner time. And Ma yelled some at Esau for getting into a fight, but nobody else thought anything more about it, then or ever. Nobody except me. Cause when I woke up next morning, everybody in town knew Donnie Schmidt had been dead for a week. Hell, we'd all been to the funeral. I didn't see it happen, but Willa did. Or that's what she thought anyway. Donnie been walking to school, and old Mac Moffat's car went out of control somehow, crossed three lanes in two, three seconds, and pinned him against the wall of a house. Poor kid never knew what hit him, and neither did anyone who ever went over the car or gave poor Mac a sobriety test. The old man died a couple of months later, by the way. Call it shock, call it a broken heart if you like. I don't know. But the point is, the point is that Donnie Schmidt was alive as could be the day before beating up on Esau on the playground. I remembered that, but I'd also swear on a stack of Bibles that he'd been killed in an accident the week before, and Willa would swear on the day of judgment that she was there. And we'd both pass any and every lie detector test you want to put us through, because we know. We know we're telling the truth, so it's not a lie, right? It's just not true. Told you. Told you you'd be looking at me like that about now. No, don't say nothing. Just listen, okay? There's more. Now, I got no idea if that was the first time he did it, made something happen by saying it already had. No idea. Like I said before, it was just the first time I ever really saw my brother. Nor it didn't change a lot between us, him and Willa and me. Willa was all books and choir rehearsals, and I was all cars and trucks and hunting with my Uncle Rick. And Esau pretty much got along on his own, same as he'd always done. He was just Esau, bony as a clothes rack, all elbows and knees. Papa used to say that he was so thin you could shave with him. But if you look closely, I guess you could have seen how he might yet turn out good looking. Only we weren't looking closely. None of us were, not even me. Not even after Donnie. One of anything is still one of anything, even if it's strange. You can put it out of your mind. So across the dinner table was about it for Willa and me, if we were home. But while I wasn't really looking, 
I can't say I didn't pay a little more attention in the looking I did, if you know what I mean. One time I do recall, when Esau was maybe 12, maybe 13, in there somewhere. Must have been 13, because I was already out of high school and working five days a week to help with the rent. Anyway, I'm up on the roof of the house on a Saturday, replacing a few shingles got blown off in the last windstorm, hammering and humming, not thinking about much of anything. And suddenly I turn my head and there's Esau, a few feet away, squatting on his heels and watching me. Never heard him climbing up. No idea how long he's been there, but I know I don't like that look. Sets me to thinking about the one he gave Donnie. What if he says to me, you fell off the roof, and it turns out I'm dead, and been dead some while. So I say, hey, you want to hand me those nails over there? Friendly and peaceable as you like. Probably the most I've said to him in a week more. So he hands me the nails, and I say thanks, and I go back to work. And Esau sits watching me a few minutes more, and then he asks, right out of nowhere, Jake, you believe in God? Like that. I didn't even look up, just grunted. Guess I do. You think God's nice? His voice was still breaking, I recall. Went up and down like a seesaw, made me laugh. I said, minister says so. He wouldn't quit on it, wouldn't let up. But do you think God's nice? I dropped a couple of shingles and made him go down and bring him back up to the roof for me. When he done that, I said, You look around at this world. You think God's nice? He didn't answer for a while. Just sat there watching me work. By and by, he said, If I was God, I'd be nice. I set my eye on him then, and I don't know what made me do it. But I said, You would, huh? Tell it to Donnie Schmidt. I had never said anything like that to him before. I would never mentioned Donnie Schmidt since the funeral, because I knew in my mind, like Willa, like everyone else, that Donnie was dead and buried a week before him and Esau had that fight. Anyway, Esau's eyes filled up, which hardly ever happened. He wasn't ever a crier, and his face got all red, and he stood up, and for a minute I thought he actually was about to come at me, but he didn't. He just screamed with that funny breaking voice, I would be a nice God. I would. And he was off and gone. I guess down the ladder, though maybe he jumped the way he was doing then, because he was limping a bit at dinner time. Anyway, we never talked about God no more, nor about Donnie Schmidt neither, at least while Esau still lived here. I never talked about any of this with Papa. He was pretty much taken up with his Bible and his notions and his work at the tannery before he passed. But Ma saw more than she let on. One time, there was this one time she was still up when I come home from little Sadie Morrison's place. She has later married that Canuck fella, Renee Arsenault, and she said, that's Ma, not Sadie. She said to me, Jacob, Esau's bad. I said, Ma, goodness sake, don't say that. There's nothing wrong with the kid except he's kind of a pain in the ass. Otherwise, I got no quarrel with him. Which was true enough then, and maybe still is, depending on how you measure. Ma shook her head. I remember she was sitting right where you are, by the fireplace. This was their house, you know. Just rocking and shelling peas, and she said, Jacob, I ain't nearly as silly as everybody always thinks I am. I know when somebody's bad. Esau, he makes people into ghosts. I looked at her. I said, Ma, Ma, 
Don't you never go around saying stuff like that. They'll put you away for sure. You're saying Esau kills people, and he never killed nobody. And I believed it, you see. Absolutely. Even though I also knew better. And Ma, Ma, whatever she knew, maybe she knew it because she was just as silly as folks thought she was. Hard to say about Ma. She said, that girl last year, the one he was so gone on, who wanted to go off to New York and be an actress, you remember her? Susie Harkin, I said. Sure, I remember. Plane crashed, killed everybody on board. It was real sad. Ma didn't say nothing for a long time. Rocked and shelled, rocked and shelled. I stood and watched her, snatching myself a pee now and then, and thinking on how worried she was getting to look. Then she said, almost mumbling like, I don't think so, Jacob. I'm persuaded she got killed in that crash, but I don't think so. That's exactly how she put it. Exactly. I didn't say anything myself, because what could I say? Ma, you're right. I remember it both ways, too. I remember you telling me she gave him the mitten. That's the way Ma talks. She meant the girl broke up with him. And left. And I remember Susie doing just fine up there in the city. She even sent me a letter. But I also remember her and Esau talking about getting married someday. Only then she stepped on that flight and never got to New York at all. I'm going to tell Ma that and get her going. When the city health people already thought she ought to be off in some facility somewhere? Not hardly. Things wandered along, way they do, just happening and not happening. Willa went all the way on to state college and become a teacher. And then she got married and moved all that way to Florida, Jacksonville Beach. Got two nice kids, my niece Carol Ann and my nephew Ben. Ma finally did have to go away, and soon enough she passed too. Me, I kept on at the same hardware store where you found me. Only after a while I came to own it, me and the bank. Married Mitty Joe Staines, but she died. No children. And Esau, well, he graduated the town high school like me and Willa. Unless maybe we just think he did. And then the University of Colorado gave him a scholarship. Unless they just think so. And he was gone out of here quicker than scat. Never really came home after that. Except the once, which I'll get to in a bit. Got through college, got the job with that station in Baltimore, and the next time we saw him, he was on the air, feeding stories to the network the way they do, like, and here's Esau Robbins, our Baltimore correspondent, to tell you more about today's tragic explosion, or whatever. And pretty soon it was D.C. and the national news, every night, and you'd look up and your baby brother's famous. Couldn't have been over 30. And looking good, too, no question about it. Grew up taller than me, taller than Papa, with Ma's dark hair and dark blue eyes and that look like he belonged right where he was, telling you things he knows that you don't, and telling him in that deep, warm, friendly voice he had. Lord, I don't know where he rented that voice. He sure didn't have it when he lived in this town. Voice like that, he could have been reciting Mother Goose or something. Wouldn't have mattered. When you heard it, you just wanted to listen. I used to watch him on the TV, my brother Esau telling us what's really doing in Afghanistan and Somalia and France and D.C. And I'd look at his eyes, and I'd wonder if he ever even thought about poor, nasty Donnie Schmidt. And I'd wonder how he found out he could do it. How'd he discover his talent, his knack, whatever you want to call it. I mean, how does a little boy, schoolyard-age boy, how does he deal with a thing like that? How does he even practice it, predicting something he wants to happen, and then, like that, it's true? And it's always been true, it's just a plain fact. 
like gravity or something, with nobody knowing any better for sure but me? A town like this, there's not a lot of people you can talk to about that kind of thing. Must have made him feel even more alone, you know? The visit? Woo, yeah, well, all right, all right. It wasn't hardly a real visit, first off. See, he'd already been the anchorman on that big news program for at least 10, 12 years when they got the notion to do a show on his return to the old hometown. So they sent a whole crowd along with him, a camera crew and a couple of producers the way they do, and there was a writer and some publicity people and some other folks I can't recall. Anyway, I'll tell you, it was for sure the biggest thing to hit this place since Ruth and Gehrig barnstormed through here back in the 20s. They were here a whole week, that gang. And they spent a lot of money and made all the businesses happy. Can't beat that with a stick, can you? And Esau walked through it all like a king. Just like a king, no other word for it. They filmed him greeting old friends, talking with his old teachers, stopping in at all his old hangouts, even reading to kids at the library. Mind you, I don't remember him ever having any hangouts, and the teachers didn't seem to remember him much at all. As for the old friends, look, if Esau had any friends when we were all kids, I swear I don't recall him. I mean, there they were in this documentary thing, shaking his hand, slapping his back, having a beer with him in Henry's. Been there 50, 60 years, that place. But I'd never seen any of them with him as a kid, excepting maybe a few of them were pounding on him back before Donnie. Thing is, I don't imagine Esau was trying very hard to get the details right. Wouldn't have hardly thought we was worth the trouble. Willa thought she recognized one or two and remembered this and that, but even she wasn't sure. Oh yeah, her and me, we were both in it. They paid for Willa to come from Florida. Flew little Ben and Carol Ann too, but not her husband Jerry, because they just wanted to show Esau being an uncle. They'd have put her and the kids up at the Laurel Inn with the crew, but she wanted to stay here at the old house, which was fine with me. Don't get to be around children much. We didn't see much of Esau even after Willa got here. But a day or two before they wrapped up the film, he dropped over to the house for dinner, which meant that the whole crew dropped over too. We were the only ones eating, and it was the strangest meal I've ever had in my life. What with all those electricians setting up lights and the sound people running cables every which way, and a director, for God's sake, a director telling us when to start eating. They sent out to horse shacks for prime rib. And where to look when the camera was on us, and what Willis should say to the kids when they asked for seconds... Carol Ann got so nervous, she actually threw up her cream corn. And Willa got so mad at the lighting guy, because Ben's got eye trouble. And the lights were so bright and hot, well, it was a real mess, that's all. Just a real mess. But Esau, he just sat through it all like it was just another broadcast. Which I guess to him it was. Never got upset about all the retakes. Lord, that dinner must have taken three hours one thing another. Never looked sweaty or tired. Always found something new and funny to say to the camera when it started rolling again. But that's who he was talking to all through that show. Not us, for sure. He never once looked straight at any of us, Willa or the kids or me, if the camera wasn't on him. He was a stranger in this house. The house where we'd all grown up. More of a stranger than all those cameramen, those producers. He could just as well have been from another country, where everybody's great looking, but they don't speak any language you've ever heard of. With all the craziness and confusion, the lights and the reflectors, and the microphone swinging around on pole things, I probably studied on my brother longer and harder than I'd ever done in my life before. There at that table, having that fake dinner, I studied on him, and I thought a few new things. 
See, I couldn't believe it was just Esau. What I could believe is there's no such thing as history. Not the way they teach it to you in school. Wars, revolutions, all those big inventions, all those big discoveries. If there's been a bunch of people like Esau right through time, or even a few, a handful, then the history books don't signify. You understand what I'm saying? Then it's all just been what any one of them wanted, decided on right at this moment or that, and no great, you know, patterns to the way things happen. Just Esau, and whatever others, and you got run over. Like that. That's what I came to think. And I know I'm right, because Susie Harkin was in that film. Yeah, yeah, I know what I told you about the plane crash, the rest of it. I'm telling you this now. She walked in by herself, right as you please, just before they finally got around to putting real food on the table, and sat right down across from Esau, between me and little Ben. The TV people looked at the director for orders, and I guess he figured she was family, no point fussing about it, and let her stay. He was too busy yelling at the crew about the lights anyway. Esau was good. I am here to tell you Esau was good. There was just that one moment when he saw her, and even then, you might have had to be me or Willa, and watching close, before you noticed the twist of blank panic in his eyes. After that, he never looked straight at her, and he sure never said her name, but you couldn't have told one thing from his expression. Susie didn't waste no time on him, neither. She was busy helping little Ben with his food, cutting his meat up small for him, and making faces to make him laugh. Ma had said, Esau makes people into ghosts. But I don't guess you'd find a ghost cutting up a boy's prime rib for him, do you? Not any kind of ghost I ever heard about. When she'd finished helping Ben, she looked right up at me, and she winked. As long as she'd been gone, Susie Harkin didn't look a day different. I don't suppose you'd ever have called her a beauty, best day she ever saw. Face too thin, forehead a shade low, nose maybe a bit beaky, but she had real nice brown eyes, and when she smiled, you didn't see a thing but that smile. I liked her a good bit when she was going out with Esau, and I was real sorry when she died in that plane crash. So was Willa. And now here Susie was again, sitting at her old dinner table with all these people around, winking at me like the two of us had a secret together. And we did, because I knew she'd been dead, and now she wouldn't, and she knew I knew, and she knew why I knew besides. So yeah, you could say we had our secret. Esau didn't do much more looking at me during the dinner than he did at Susie, but that was the one time he did. I saw him when I turned to say something to Willa. It wasn't any special kind of a look he gave me, not in particular. It was maybe more like the first time I really looked at him, when he did what he did to Donnie Schmidt as though he hadn't ever seen me either, until that glance, that wink, passed between Susie Harkin and me. Anyway, by and by, the little ones fell asleep, and Willa took them off to bed, and the crew packed up and went back to the Laurel Inn, and Susie right away vanished into the kitchen with all the dirty dishes. No, I insist, you boys just stay and talk. You don't hear women say that much anymore. So there we were, me and Esau, Everything gotten quiet now. Always more quiet after a lot of noise, you notice. And him still not really looking at me. And me too tired and fussed and befuddled not to come straight at him. But the first thing I asked was about as dumb as it could be. Squirrel still chasing you? Whatever he was or wasn't expecting from me, that sure as hell wasn't it. 
He practically laughed, or maybe it was more like he grunted in a laugh sort of way. And he said, not so much these days. Close to, he looked exactly like he looked on the TV. Exactly, right down to the one curl off to the left on his forehead and the inlaid belt buckle and that steepling thing he did with his fingers. Really was like talking to the screen. Susie's looking fine, don't you think? I asked him. I mean, for having been dead and all. Oh, that reached him. That got his attention. He looked at me then, all right, and he answered real slow and cold and careful. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Come on, Esau, I said. Tomorrow I might wake up remembering mostly whatever you want me to remember, the way you do, people. But right now, tonight, I'm afraid you're just going to have to sit here and talk to me. Or what? Those two words cracked out of him just like a whip does. There's the forward throw, almost gentle, like you're fly fishing. And then the way you bring it back, that's what makes that sound. He didn't say anything more, but the color had drained right out of his eyes. Same way it happened with Donnie Schmidt. Didn't look much like the TV now. I asked him, you planning to make me a ghost too? Kill me off in a plane crash a few weeks ago? I ought to tell you, I hate flying, and everybody knows it. So you might want to try something different. Me, I always wanted to get shot by a jealous husband at 95 or so. But it's your business, I wouldn't presume. I don't know. Something just took me over, and I didn't care what I said right then. He didn't answer. We could hear Susie rattling things in the kitchen, and Willa singing softly to her kids upstairs. Got a pretty voice, Willa does. Wanted to do something with it, but what with school, and then there was Jerry, and then there was the trouble starting with Ma. Well, nothing ever came of it somehow. But I could see Esau listening. And just for a minute or so, he looked like somebody who really might have had a sister, and maybe a brother, too, and was just visiting with him for the evening, like always. I took the moment to say, Papa was funny, wasn't he, Esau? Getting us backwards like that with a naming. He stared at me. I shrugged a little bit. I said, well, you think about it some. Here's Jacob, which I'm named for, cheating Esau out of his inheritance, tricks him into swapping everything to him for a mess of chicken soup or some such. But with us, with us, it kind of worked out the other way around, wouldn't you say? I mean, when you think about it. I don't know what you're talking about. He said it in the TV voice, but his eyes still weren't his TV eyes, reassuring everyone that the world hadn't ended just yet. Papa was as crazy as Ma, only different. And our names don't signify a thing, except he was likely drunk at the time. He slammed his hand on the table setting all the dishes Susie hadn't cleared off yet to rattling. Esau lowered his voice some. I never stole anything from you, Jake Robbins. I wouldn't have lowered myself to it, any more than I'd have lowered myself to take along a lump of sand-covered cat shit from this litter box of a town the day I finally got out of here. The one thing I ever took away was me. Do you understand that, brother? Nothing more. Not one damn thing more. His face was so cramped up with anger and plain contempt that I couldn't help putting the finger out toward him, like I was aiming to smooth away a bunch of rumples. You want to watch out, I said. Crack your makeup. Esau came to his feet then, and I really thought he was bound to clock me a good one. I said, sit down. There's ladies in the house. He went on glaring in my face, but by and by he kind of stood down. 
Didn't quite sit, you understand, but Moore leaned on the table, staring at me. He'd cracked his makeup all right, and I don't mean the stuff they'd put on his skin for the filming. You wouldn't want that face telling you any kind of news right then. I bet Papa knew, I said. Ma just had like a glimmer of the truth, but Papa, likely it's how come he drank so much and read the Bible so crazy. It's his side of the family, after all. Esau said it again. I don't know what you're talking about. But there wasn't much what you might call conviction in the words. It's an odd thing, but he was always a real bad liar. Embarrassing bad. I guess it's because he's never had to lie in his life. He could always make the lie be true if he cared to. Andy, I said, I'm talking about genetics. Now there's a word I hadn't had much use for until recently. Knew what it meant, more or less, and let it go with that. But there's a deal to genetics when you look close, you know. No answer. Nothing but that bad guy stare with something under it that maybe might be fear and maybe not. I kept going. Papa and his Bible. There's a lot in the Bible makes a lot more sense that way, genetics. What if, let's say all those miracles didn't have a thing to do with God, nor Moses, nor Jesus, nor Adam's left ball, whatever. What if it was all people like you? Two, three, four, five thousand years of people like you. The Bible zigs and zags and contradicts itself, tells the same story 40 ways from Sunday, and don't connect up to nothing half the time, even to a preacher. But now you back off and suppose for one moment that the Bible's actually trying to record a world that keeps shifting this way and that because people keep messing with it. What would you say about that, Esau? Nothing. Not a word. Not a flicker of an eyelid. Nothing for the longest time. And then, of all things, my brother began to smile. Declare to goodness, he said. And it wasn't the smooth TV voice at all but more like the way his mouth was born, as we say around here. Even a blind hog finds an acorn once in a while. Continue, please. You have all my attention. No, I don't yet, I said back to him. But I will. Because with genetics, it's a family thing. Somebody in a family has a gift, a talent. There's likely to be somebody else who has it too. Oh, maybe not the same size or shape of a gift, but close enough. Close enough. I surely had his attention now, let me tell you. His hands were opening and closing like leaves starting to stir when a storm's coming. Willa doesn't have that thing you have, I said. None of it. Not at all. She's the lucky one. But I do. Wouldn't have guessed it before, not even seeing what you'd done. But now I know better. That same power to mess with things, only I guess I never needed to. Not like you. Esau started to say something, but then he didn't. I said, I turned out pretty lucky myself. I had Mitty Joe, for a while anyway. I got a job suited me down to the ground. Didn't have nearly so many people to get even with as you had, and the ones I did I've mostly forgot over time. I was always forgetful that way. Forget my head it wasn't screwed on. Papa always used to say that about me. The same way he used to say Willett makes some woman a great husband. Because she could get the car started when he couldn't. Never yet heard old Jerry Flores complain. What you did to Donnie Schmidt, I said. What you did to Susie. What I know you did to a few other folks. Even though you made sure the rest of everybody didn't remember. It all scared me so bad. 
I would never gone anywhere near power like that if I'd known I had it. Esau's voice was sort of thickish now, like he was trying not to cry, which surely wasn't the case. He said, You can't do what I do. You know better than that, Esau. Same way I know you've never bent reality towards even one good thing. I watch you on the TV every night just about, and everything you report on. It's death. It's all death. Nothing but death, one way or another. A million baby girls left out on the street in China. A raft full of people capsizes off Haiti. Some kid wipes out a whole schoolyard in Iowa. There's more people starving in Africa, getting massacred. There's suicide bombers and serial killers all over the place. It's you. It's your half of the genetics. It's what you are, Esau, and I'm sorry for you. Don't be. It was only a whisper, but it came at me like a little sideways swipe from one of those old-time straight razors the kind Papa had. Esau said, You're the good one. It wasn't a question. Well, who'd have thought it? My loud-mouthed, clumsy, stupid big brother turns out to be the superhero in the closet, the champion with the secret identity. Amazing. Just shows you something or other. Truly amazing. No, I said. No, I don't care about that. I just wanted you to know I know, about the genetics and so forth. And then I said it, because he's right, I am stupid. I said, you're trying to be the angel of death, Esau, and I'm just so sorry for you, that's all. He'd been looking toward the kitchen, like he expected something, or maybe didn't expect it. But now he turned around on me, and I'm not ever about to forget what I saw then. It was like we were kids again, and he was screaming at me. I would be a nice god. I would. Except now the scream was all in his eyes. They were stretched wide as wide like howling jaws, and the whites had gone too white, so they made the pupils look not black, but a kind of musty, crumbly gray, like his eyes were rotten. Nothing left in there but gray anger, gray pain, gray brick-lined schoolyards where my brother Esau learned what he was. I'd been halfway joking when I said that about the angel of death. Not anymore. Sorry for me, Jake. It wasn't the razor whisper, but it wasn't any voice you'd have recognized either. Esau said, Sorry for me? I'm on television, asshole. I'm a star. Have you the slightest notion of what that means? It means millions, millions of people inviting me into their homes, listening to me, believing in me, trusting me. Hell, I'm a family member, a wise old uncle, a mysteriously well-traveled cousin dropping by to tell them tales of the monsters and fools who run their lives, of the innocents who died horribly today, the people murdered to please somebody's God, the soldiers being sent to die in some place they never heard of, the catastrophes waiting to happen tomorrow, and that somebody does something right away, which they won't, but that isn't my work. I can't claim credit there. He smiled at me then. And it was a real smile, young and joyous as you like. He said, Don't you understand? They love death, all those people. They love what I do. They need it, no matter how awful they say it is. It's built into the whole species from the beginning, and you know it as well as I do. You may be the good angel, but I'm the one they hang out with in the kitchen and the living room. I'm the one they have their coffee with, or beer. Well, I smile and lay on some more har for him. Meaning no offense, but who wants what you're selling? 
Those people who watch you don't know what they're buying, I said back. Your stories aren't just stories. You aren't just reporting. You're making real things happen in the real world. I see you on the TV, and I can feel all those things you talk about and explain about and tell folks to be afraid of. I can feel them coming true every night. It's like Ma said, your stories kill people. He didn't turn a hair or look away, and I didn't expect him to. I said, and I keep wondering how many like us might be doing the same right now, all over everywhere, messing with people, messing with the world, so nothing makes no sense one day to the next, so most everybody gets run over in the end, like Donnie Schmidt. You suppose that's all we can do? That's all it's for, this gift we've got, this heritage? Esau shrugged. No idea. It suits me. He gave me that smile again, made him look like a happier little kid than he ever was. But why should it concern you, Jake? Are you planning to devote the rest of your life to writing letters to my sponsors, telling them I'm the source of all the pain and misery in the world? I'll be very interested in watching your efforts. Fascinated, you could say. No, I told him. I got a store to run, and I meet Earl Hauser and Buddy Andreessen for breakfast at Buttercup on Tuesdays. And it's not my place to chase around after you fixing stuff. What I know's what I know, and it don't include putting the world back the way it ought to be. It's too late for that. Way too late for heroes, champions, miracles. Don't matter what our heritage was maybe meant for. Your side got hold of it first, and you won long ago. No undoing that, Esau. I ain't fool enough to think otherwise. I'm still sorry for you, but I know your side's won. This side of the grave. He wasn't listening to me, not really. Just about all his attention was focusing on the kitchen right then, because Susie begun whistling while she was clattering pots in the sink. She could always whistle like a man, Susie could. Esau took a step toward the sound. I wouldn't, I advised him. Best leave her be for a bit. What with one thing another, she's not real partial to you just now. You know how it is. He stopped where he was, but he didn't answer. Halfway crouched, halfway plain puzzled. I've seen dogs look like that when they couldn't figure out what to do about that big new dog on the block. He said real low, I didn't bring her back. No, I said, you couldn't have. He didn't hear that right off. Then he did, and he was just starting to turn when Susie came out of the kitchen, drying her hands on a dish towel and asking, Jake... Would you like me to wash that old black roasting pan while I'm at it? Then she saw Esau standing there, and she stood real still, and he did too. Lord, if I close my eyes, I'd see him like that right now. I stood up from the table, so that made three of us on our feet, saying nothing. Esau was breathing hard, and I couldn't hardly tell if Susie was breathing at all. That made me anxious, you know, considering... So I said, Esau was just leaving, wanted to say goodbye. Neither of them paid the least bit of attention to me. Susie finally managed to say, You're looking well, Esau. That's a really nice tie. Esau's voice sounded like a cold wind in an empty place. He said, You're rotten in the ground. Your bones. No. Susie's own voice was shaky, but stronger than his some way. No, Esau, I'm not. I refuse. She sort of peeked past him at me as she said that, and Esau caught it. 
He turned. Susie stays, I said. I was madder than I ever remembered being, and I was wound up, ready to go at whoever. Let's do it. Just pick your weapons. And I was heavily spooked, too, because pretty much the only mix-ups I've been in my whole life, they were always about hauling some guy off my baby brother one more time. Heritage or not, I'm no fighter. Never wanted to be one. It's just I always liked Susie. As for the way Esau stared at me, it did clear up a few things, and that's about all I'm going to tell you. I looked back into those TV eyes, and I saw what lived in there, and I thought, well, anyway, I've still got a sister. If you can get through the rest of your life without ever having that feeling, I'd recommend it. Esau said, she goes back where she belongs, now. She didn't belong there in the first place, I said to him. Leave her be, Esau. She's got no business being dead. You don't know what you're doing, he said. His lips were twitching like they didn't belong to his face. Stay out of it, Jake. Not a chance, I said. I can't fix up all the things you do, what you've already done. Might be Superman, Spider-Man, Batman could, but it's not in me. I'm no hero. I'm just a stubborn man who runs a hardware store. But I always liked Susie. Nice girl. Terrific whistler. Susie's not going back nowhere. Even a little bit younger, I'm sure I'd have been showing off for her. Backed away against the wall as she was, looking like a lady tied up for the dragon. But I wasn't showing off for anybody right then, being almost as scared as I was angry. Esau sighed. Very dramatic. Very heavy. He said, I did warn you. Nobody can say I didn't warn you. You're my brother, after all. I started to answer him, but I can't remember what I meant to say, because that was when Esau hit me. Not with his fists, but with such a blaster, I still don't know what to call it. Hatred? Contempt? Plain meanness? That it knocked me off my feet and right over my chair. For a moment, I swear I thought I'd caught on fire. My head wouldn't work. Nothing worked. It was like every single string in my body had been cut. I couldn't even flop around on the floor. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. Susie screamed, and Esau hit me again. That time I did flop around after I slid across the floor and fetched up against the wall. To this day, I can't honestly explain how it felt. Been trying to describe it to myself for years. Best I can do is that it wasn't like an electric shock, and it wasn't really like being burned or beaten up either. Although I was all over bruises next day, it was more, it was more like he was unmaking me. Like he was starting to take me apart, atom by atom, molecule by molecule, so I wouldn't exist anymore. I would never have existed. He'd never have had a brother. I could feel it happening, and I tell you, I'll never be scared of anything again. But I didn't die. I mean, I didn't get lost the way he wanted me to. Susie ran to me. But I managed to wave her off because I didn't want her getting caught between us. Esau went on hammering me with whatever it was he had that let him smash planes out of the sky, trains off the tracks, set mudslides boiling down on little mud villages. But it wasn't hurting me anymore. Not like it had been. I was still me. He hadn't been able to make me not be. You understand? I got my back against the wall and pushed myself up till I was on my feet. Took more time than you might think. I work. I don't work out. 
And anyway, Esau just kept at me, like point blank, coming close up to me now and knocking me this way and that, one belt of crazy rage after another. I couldn't do much about it yet, but he couldn't quite put me down again either. I did tell him to stop it. Same way he warned me, I told him to stop, but he wouldn't. So I stopped him. Or the thing stopped him, the thing that had been rousing up in me all this time while he was whooping the daylights out of me. It burst out of me like from a flamethrower, searing me. Mouth, throat, chest, guts. Way worse than anything Esau had done to me, and slamming me back against the wall harder than he had. I couldn't see, and I couldn't hear a thing. And right that moment, that's when I did think I was going to die. Look forward to it, too, just then. When my eyes cleared some, ears took a lot longer. I saw Esau lying on the floor. He wasn't moving. If it was just me, the way I was feeling, I'd likely have left him lying there till the neighbors started complaining. But see, I already told you how Willa and me, we were always supposed to watch over our baby brother, protect him in those schoolyard fights, make sure he did his homework, all that. And I guess old habits die hard. I said, Esau? Esau? And when he didn't answer, I tried to get to him, but he seemed an awful long way off. Susie helped me. She'd been crying, but she stopped, and she got me to Esau. He was trying to sit up by the time we reached him, and we helped him onto his feet in a while. He looked like pounded shit, excuse my French. What with his nice shirt and rags and that tie Susie liked gone and an arm of his suit jacket dangling by a few threads. I'd seen him wear that same jacket on the TV. I don't know how many times. His face was gray. I don't mean pale or white. It was gray like old cement, old grout, and it was like the gray went all the way through. Susie and me, we might be the only people in the world ever saw him like that. He actually tried to smile. He said, I should have made you check your guns at the door. Where on earth did you pick up that trick? Just got pissed off, I said, and I'll do worse if you're not out of here in two minutes by Papa's watch. Susie stays. Esau shrugged, or he tried to. Gotta catch a plane tomorrow anyway. Back to the old grindstone. He looked at Susie. She kind of edged behind my shoulder some, and Esau's smile widened. He said, Don't worry, my dear. You really should have stayed dead, you know. But it's not your fault. He turned back toward me. You're doing, of course. Watching those folks pile in, I told him. My head was still ringing. That whole crew, all those people come to paint up your homecoming for the world to see. Couldn't help thinking there ought to be someone like Susie there too. Like Donnie Schmidt. I swear, I was just thinking on it. Glad it wasn't Donnie who showed up, Esau murmured. He tugged on the loose arm of his ruined jacket. It came free, and he dropped it on the floor. Sneaky old brother Jake, he said. You've likely got more of the family inheritance than I do. Just like in Papa's Bible after all. I was still feeling hollowed out, burned out, not by anything he'd done, but by whatever it was I'd had to do. I said, I can't let you go on, Esau. He smiled. You can't kill me, Jake. We both know you better than that. You might not know me well enough, I said. Gone as long as you've been, there's worse things than killing you. Maybe way worse. 
and he saw. He looked into my eyes for a change, and he saw what I had it in mind to do. You wouldn't dare, he said in a whisper. You wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare not do it, I answered him straight. You're a time bomb, he saw. You're a loaded gun. Didn't matter before when I could pretend I didn't really know. But now, if I don't take the bullets out of you, I'm as bad as you are. Can't see that I've got a choice. He's Esau. He didn't beg, and he didn't bother with threatening. All he said was, It won't be easy for you. It's my life you're talking about. I'll fight you for it. I know you will, I said. And you'll have a better chance than Donnie Schmidt. Or me, Susie said, standing right next to me. Goodbye, Esau. He gave her a different kind of smile than he'd given me. Practically kind, practically real. It looked nice on him. He said, Goodbye, Susie. See you on the six o'clock. And he was away that fast, vanished into the dark. I looked after him for some while and said what I had to say and closed the door. Susie had heard me, of course. He always meant to be a good God, I told her. A good God, a good angel, whatever. Don't know how he got to be what he was. Susie picked up Esau's torn-off sleeve and turned it around and around in her hands, not looking at it, not looking at anything much. She said, finally, I read once, in India, they've got gods that are also demons. Depends on their mood, I guess, or the time of year, or maybe just their lunch. Well, I wasn't planning to go into the god business myself, I told her. Really wasn't looking to set up in competition with any angel of death. Piss poor job, you ask me. No benefits, no paid vacations, and damn sure no union. Susie shook her head and laughed a little bit, but after that she got quiet again and sort of broody. By and by, she said, There's a union. There's always been others like you, Jake. The ones who mend the world. The world's no torn shirt, I said. My insides felt like they'd been scooped out, dragged over gravel, and put back. I got a store to run. Susie looked at me, didn't say anything. I said, there's others like him out there. I don't know how many. Can't stop them all. I put my hand on Susie's shoulder to steady myself. Willa came in behind us in her bathrobe, looked around at the dining room, and demanded, What was all that terry hooting around in here after we went to bed? Did you and Esau get to wrestling or something? Kind of, I mumbled. Boys with beers. I'll clean up, I promise. Willa shrugged. Your house. I was just afraid you'd wake up the kids. Esau already gone. I nodded, and she peered at me in that older sister way of hers. You sure nothing happened between you two? She wasn't expecting an answer, so I didn't have to fix one up. She studied Susie a lot more closely and carefully than she'd done during dinner, and there wasn't any question what she was thinking. But what Willa thinks and what Willa says never did spend a lot of time together. This time she just said, Good of you to take the time with Ben, Susie. I was just frazzled out, dealing with those crazy TV people and Carol Ann. It's been some time since I've been around children, Susie said. I like yours. Willa said, Stay the night, why don't you? It's late, and there's a spare bedroom downstairs. As she left, she said over her shoulder, 
and I make great Mexican eggs. My husband loves them, and he's Mexican. Susie looked at me. I said, if you aren't worried about compromising your reputation, that is, staying over in the house of a widow or man, there's still folks in this town would raise their eyebrows. Susie laughed full out then for the first time. That was nice. She said, I'm older than I look. Well, what else? The network never ran that show, of course. What with one thing or another. Didn't get the chance. Seems like it all started turning bad for Esau just about then. Slow but steady. That stock option business. Those people who sued the whole network about his fouled-up dirty bomb story. The sexual harassment charges. Those got settled out of court, like a bunch of other stuff, but there was a mountain landing on his head, and he couldn't duck it all. Still, he hung on like a bull rider. He's almost as stubborn as I am. Almost. Tell the truth, he might have ridden that bull all the way home if he'd still been selling the same kind of stories. But the things that had made him who he was, the big disasters and the common man nightmares, somehow there just weren't as many of them as there had been. The news got smaller, and so did he. Did I feel bad? Interesting you asking me that. Yeah, I did feel bad for him. I couldn't help it. I still wonder how he felt when he woke up. The morning after the night he told the country all about those Kansas cult murders, with the ritual mutilating and all, only it turned out they hadn't ever happened. Even though he'd made them up just as purdy and scary as all the other lies he'd always made real. How's the angel of death supposed to do his job with clip wings? I got a call in the store that day. Picked up on the second ring, but when I said hello, there wasn't anybody on the line. The guns were the last straw. The automatics and the Uzis and whatever in his office, in the dressing room, those were bad enough. The tabloids had a field day with those. But trying to go through Los Angeles airport security with a pistol butt just sticking out of his coat pocket, Lord, that did him in. Network hustled him out of there so fast his desk was smoking behind him. That wasn't me, by the way, all those guns. That was just the state he was in by then. Poor Esau. All those years jumping off things, he still never did learn how to land. Or maybe I should have chosen my words better as he walked away that night. Probably would have if I had more time. All I knew then was I had to speak up before he did. Jam my foot in the door. My brother thinks he's an angel, I'd said. He thinks he can change anything in the world just by saying so. But that's crazy. He can't do that. Didn't know what else to say. Might have had a little too much what we used to call English on it, but I'd done what I could. Lord, don't I wish I had a movie of you for the last half hour or so, the way you've been looking at me. You'd get to keep that anyway, even though there won't be nothing on your tape tomorrow, nor nothing in your memory. Couple of hours, you couldn't even find this house again. Same as your editor won't ever remember giving out this assignment. Because nobody talks about my brother anymore. Nobody's talked about him in years. And it's a sad thing some ways. Because being Esau Robbins every night, everywhere, six o'clock, that mattered to him. Being the angel of death, that mattered to him. They were the only things that ever filled him, you understand me? That's all he ever could do in his life, my poor damn brother.
get even with us, with people, for being alive. And I took all that away. Stole his birthright and shut down the life he built with it. That don't balance the scales nor make up for all he did, but it's going to have to do. He saw Robbins no longer exists. He's not dead. He's just gone. Maybe someday I'll go and look for him, like an older brother should. But right now, gone is how it stays. Price of the pottage. Thanks for the Blantons, young man. Puts a smile on the face, and even though it isn't her drink, Susie will certainly applaud your thoughtfulness. You'll likely be finding a bonus in your next paycheck. Nobody in accounting will be able to explain why. And you sure as hell won't either. But just you roll with it. And welcome back. Seriously, I'm trying so hard right now not to make a joke about what news figure or, excuse me, news personality you could substitute for Esau in this story. But my problem is, I feel like there are way too many new celebrities who could fit the bill. Okay, feedback this week is for episode 206. Christopher Rose, Another Word for Map is Faith, read by our own Anne Leckie. This is the story of a peculiar group of cartographer missionaries attempting to shape the world to the image of their maps. Feedback for this one was, well, a bit shocked, honestly. Marion said, Phew, very well written and well read, but what a terrible dystopia and perversion of academic disciplines into the service of an arrogant and inhumane Christianity. Dave said, this story should have been on pseudopod. It grew more horrifying with every sentence. By the end, my stomach was clenching up. I was so profoundly mortified. Uh, thanks? Dave wasn't the only one to have that reaction, by the way. Quite a few posters felt like this story could just have easily aired on pseudopod. The conversation produced some questions about religious zealotry and whether or not zealots would really act like the characters in this story if they had the ability to. Finally, Scattercat said, as a certified grammar pedant, I deeply enjoyed the idea of altering reality to correct the differences between theory and practice. And honestly, this one could almost be a pseudopod episode, let alone a skate pod. That's why we love Podcastle. Aw, and that's why we love you, Scattercat. By the way, if you all haven't had the chance yet, check out Scattercat's very fun superhero story, Nemesis, over at EscapePod348. Thanks all very much for those comments. We love reading your thoughts on our stories, so head on over to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's episode. If we don't like what you say, well, we'll just shape your comments into a reality that better suits our purposes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the moderator's jobs. Okay, I'm really kidding this time. About something. I am not kidding about us needing your donations to keep our podcast going, though. I've tried to change the shape of that reality, and it just isn't working out. So, if you like our stories, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your money pays our authors and covers costs so we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. And if you can't afford to donate, please blog, tweet, Facebook, or just tell a friend about us. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Anne Leckie, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, and myself, 
Thank you all so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week with another fantastic story for you. Until then, good night and good luck. We'll see you in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Your moment of zen this week comes from George Orwell, who said, In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. <laughs>